What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77, and Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each. When you buy four, look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Welcome to another episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andy Bailey. And it's hard to believe, but we're actually at the midway point of the season. It seems like only yesterday that we were still trying to figure out who everyone was going to draft and where all the free agents were going to go. But somehow half of the season has already been played and it's time to start thinking about awards. So we're going to dive right into it and go through all of the major NBA awards. Um, Not who we think is going to win at the end of the year, but who we think has won so far. Uh, based on the first half. And we're going to start with Coach of the Year. And so I'll just turn it right over to Andy here. Oh, man. This is tough. This is a two-horse race for me. Uh, but I'm going to do a sentimental pick and say Luke Walton because he has not technically received any credit for these wins that he's had over the course of this season. Um, Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. He was in charge of the team for those 39 wins. They were 39-4 and four under him. Best start in NBA history. Um, I feel like he deserves some sort of credit for what he's done. He's, he was amazing. There was a good quote from Kerr during last night's game about how he said when he would watch the games from home and the Warriors would have a decision to make in the fourth quarter, like, you know, what lineup are we going to play for these last couple minutes? What play are we going to run after this timeout? Kerr would say, I mean, that's that's the exact decision that I would have made in that situation. Um, and obviously, Kerr led the Warriors to the championship last season. So I've been really impressed with what Walton has done um, this season. I will have no gripes or complaints if, if you guys go with Popovich. I'm assuming somebody's got to go there. It's going to be me. Um, <laughs> I just, we knew the Spurs were going to be good. But there was supposed to be this learning curve, mm-hmm. like this just period where they struggled before taking their spot among the NBA's best teams. And now, not only did they really not struggle, it took them a while for their offense to start humming, but it's now, I think, in the top three of efficiency. Their defense is better than anything we've seen since the 60s Boston Celtics. And now they're one of the best teams in NBA history. And it's just insane because. You look at this team and it looks largely the same. There aren't a ton of new pieces, but Lamarcus Aldridge is a huge new piece. You all of a sudden have Tim Duncan playing a lot less than he normally does. You've incorporated David West. You've incorporated Boban. You've carved out this different role for Kawhi Leonard, and it's all just coming together. They haven't missed a beat. They've somehow improved. I don't know that I've ever seen uh, – I haven't seen a team, and I don't think anyone has, that balances – reinvention with dominance and the Spurs just do that's a good and that's a kudos to pop I would assume yeah I think I think pop would be my pick as well and it's almost inconceivable that he has only won coach of the year three times during his (laughs) coaching career it's kind of like LeBron with MVPs or like Michael Jordan with MVPs where it's it's voter fatigue and it's wanting to give different people credit so for all the reasons that Dan listed out there I think pop is my number one pick I also want to highlight Rick Carlisle, though, because I do think that he needs to be in that race as well. None of us thought 
the Mavericks were going to be any good. We had Kirk Henderson come on for a guest spot. He's a Mavs fan. He thought that they were a, a definitive lottery team. No one really saw this coming. They're 25 and 20 thus far. They're still sixth in the Western Conference. And the pieces that he's turned into productive ones are ridiculous. Darren Williams is, is rejuvenated. Uh, Raymond Felton has played quality ball at times. Dirk is having another great season. Uh, we've seen Zaza Pachulia have a career year in his 30s. JaVale McGee has been making an impact. Dwight Powell is somehow an NBA rotation player. So if we're talking about who's done the most with the least, I think it would be Carlisle, but but still, I don't think anyone touches Pop here. So that's a really good point on Carlisle. That, that list of players that you just rattled off reads like some kind of motley crew that should not be playing above 500 basketball. It's incredible what he's able to do, but Another thing I was thinking about as you both were talking about Pop, um, and this may get a little off topic for, for a minute, but are the Spurs better than the Warriors right now? I don't think so. <laughs> Statistically, when I was looking at adjusted um, offensive ratings and defensive ratings, the Spurs have a much better defense. It's the, it's the second best of all time or the third best of all time, and the Warriors have the second or third best offense of all time. And then when we do adjusted team ratings, it goes Spurs, 95-96 Bulls, this year's Warriors. Wow. My issue is the Warriors have dealt with a little bit more injuries. Uh, Barnes was out for a That's really long true. time. Uh, and just their win total, they don't play their starters in fourth quarters at That's all. True. If you look at their net ratings, they plummet by quarter between the first and second and then third and fourth. So if – if you have to a- answer this question, I think you look at how do these teams match up with one another because they are on equal footing. And I don't think the Spurs match up particularly well with the Warriors. I think we'll see, assuming Pop plays everybody on the 25th, uh, that the Warriors are the better team. Apparently, I'm just going to keep agreeing with everything that Dan says today uh, <laughs> because I fully agree with all of those points. And in addition to that, I think that the Warriors have shown that they can play more styles than the Spurs can. Mm-hmm. They won that, all of them? that grinded out. <laughs> yeah, they won that grinded out game against the Cavs on Christmas Day. They've blown out teams with their offense. They've locked down on defense when they needed to against a good offense. Um, and even beyond that, I think the Spurs are the older team where a lot of their key contributors are up there in years and could potentially wear down a little bit as we get to the end of the regular season when they're going to need to be rested more and when we get to those playoff series. The only, the only counter I have on that is that Spurs bench is insanely good. Oh yeah, um, they're super deep. Yeah. I'm just talking about some of the key pieces. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think they can they can mitigate the problems that they have with being an old team by bringing in this bench. That yep. it, it, if the bench was its own team, I th- I know Dan saw this article on Five Thirty Eight because I the think Neil he tweeted Payne it. One. Yeah. yeah, something about how if the if the Spurs bench was a starting unit for some team, it would still be one of the top three teams in the NBA just based on the numbers that they're putting at, up. So they're at ins- worst, it said they would be the Raptors, which is still just incredible. Yeah, that's insane. So like they can, <laughs> and that depth, and, and this goes back to Pop being the coach of the year, uh, like you guys said, I don't think anybody is better at building a bench uh, from within. Like they don't, they don't go out and add big name free agents or, or trades to build their bench. They they give guys experience. Um, you know how he rests people. The media gets mad about that sometimes, but that gives these bench guys who would otherwise be no names a chance to sort of build their their game on the court. And the way they build that from within is is just amazing. So before we move on to uh, to most improved player, I do also want to say on Luke Walton that I think that's a perfectly legitimate choice as well because for all the talk we hear about how anyone could coach the Warriors. That's not really true. Yeah. Like, they do have the luxury of having so many great players and a great system already in place, but there are still so many decisions that have to be, to be made on a, on a daily basis, and he's just done a wonderful job. And think about There's, managing a big personality like Draymond Green, too. Like that, that's, that's not something that just anybody could come in and be fine with. I also think that we could just look toward David Blatt and the Cavaliers to see how sometimes good teams cannot yeah. be coached by just anyone. Yeah. But um, now it would be time to move on to, I believe, most improved player. So I'll throw it over to you, Bales. Who do you have for that? So most improved player is always an interesting award because there's, <laughs> I guess this is true of most of the awards in the NBA, but there's not really any criteria for 
for who should win it. So sometimes you get this argument of is it is it somebody who just all of a sudden plays more minutes so his numbers skyrocket, or is it somebody who actually looks to have improved their game from one season to the next and that made their their numbers skyrocket? Um, the guy that I choose, I think, kind of fits into both, and that's C.J. McCollum. I think he he fits more into the first one that I named. Um, just because his minutes have gone from 16 to 35 this season. So that's helped him <laughs> triple his scoring average, uh, quadruple his assist average, uh, more than double his rebounds. Um, but at the same time, I do think that he has improved. He's shown more as a playmaker this season than he did last season. That that could be a function of playing backup point guard sometimes to Damian Lillard. But I think the, the, the sheer jump in raw production that he's had um, – that's something that I, I don't think you can ignore. So I would go with C.A.J. McCollum on this one. I, I get picking McCollum, and I think that he fits the typical criteria pretty well because we have seen such a large scoring increase. The problem that I have with him is that when he's played more minutes, he's also devolved into being one of the worst defensive players in the league, um, especially in tandem with Damian Lillard. Yeah. So his, his actual production hasn't gone up that much. It's been more a function of a minutes increase that's mitigated by that that defensive decline. Uh, I think my pick is is probably going to be a little bit more controversial because it's a, a star player making a jump to even more of a star player. And I'm looking at Kyle Lowry, um, who was incredible last year with the Toronto Raptors. And after after dropping some weight this offseason, he's so much quicker um, on both ends of the court. And he's turned into a legitimate MVP candidate who's actually pushed the Raptors into the realm of legitimate contenders. Um, and I'm going to turn to the, the TPA stat that I've been using, uh, total points added. And if we look at the offensive and defensive breakdown between the last two seasons, the leap that he's made is incredible. Last season, his offensive points added were 196, which was number 10 in the league. This year, he's on pace to hit 366, which is number three in the league. Mm-hmm. And on defense last year, he was minus 28, which was 381st. And this year, he's at 69.7, which is 35th. So he's gotten that much better while starting at such a high level. I kind of like that pick too, because there's, there's like a physical improvement (laughs) that you can actually see from him. Like he took something and got, like you said, he's quicker now. He's more explosive. So I, I don't mind that pick at all. I like that. Yeah. I think if you had to go to a star player, it would be him. I know a lot of people would gravitate towards Steph, but if you had to pick a star as most improved, I think you could easily, Go to Lowry, also because of what he's done on defense this year. He just looks so much better there. My pick, deviating from both of you, uh, is Jay Crowder of the Boston Celtics, who's, in my opinion, been their best player, if only because he's their most complete player. I mean, you're looking at a guy who had a box plus minus through his first three years in the league of .2, and now he's at 3.4. He's the best defender on the league, second or third best defensive team at this point. He's shooting threes now really well. He reminds me a little bit of Draymond Green without the x-ray court vision, Um, and he'll probably never have that, but he's that guy who can defend pretty much every position. The Celtics don't throw him against centers that much, but you've seen him against fours. I've seen him on point guards a little bit. He just does everything, and the fact that they locked him down for so long is just incredible because that deal is going to be a steal. And I think you can make the case that he deserves to be an all-star reserve. And this is a guy who was a second-round pick, came over in that Rondo trade. He never really did anything in Dallas. He wasn't even that great for the Celtics when he came over, and he's just making this leap. And, yes, it's come with more playing time, but this leap is so substantial that the fact that we can argue he's been a borderline all-star is just absolutely mind-boggling. Without really looking at the Celtics' stats in front of me, and with all due respect to Isaiah Thomas, is is Crowder their best player? Yeah, I think so. I would agree with I would agree with Dan there. It's kind of weird because at this point, it might look like um, Th- Thomas is their most indispensable player because their offense, literally, that drop when he leaves the floor, it's worse than when anyone on defense uh, leaves the floor, but. The Celtics defense really is built around like these like pesky perimeter guys and, and Crowder has proved the most valuable there among all of them. And I mean, again, the fact that uh he leads this team or is one of the leaders in this team in defensive box plus minus, I think among rotation players, he's like second or third. It's just 
I don't know, it just speaks to what he's done. And then you add in a three-point shooting, he's become a better passer. He's doing everything. Yeah. I, I, go ahead, Adam. I think that's what makes this award so fun is that it's so hard to poke holes in really any of the cases as long as you're making reasonable choices like McCollum scoring increase Crowder becoming such an all-around player we can throw out names like Will Barton or Kent Bazemore or Steph Curry oh Barton that's a good one there are so many different choices and they all have merit to them yeah I like this award too um but we're gonna move on to the next one which I believe is sixth man of the year correct me if I'm wrong um I'm gonna throw it to Adam first on this one so for me, there are two leading candidates here, and it's Monty Ginobili and Andre Iguodala. And neither of them have particularly glamorous games at this stage of their careers. They're overshadowed by plenty of other players on their own teams. Both deserve all-star consideration. Both have been phenomenal coming off the bench for entirely different reasons. Um, you, look at, you look at what Mono has done um, in what's really become kind of a resurgent season. He's... He, He's showing so much creativity with the ball in his hands. He's rarely making mistakes. He's, he's scoring uh, really efficiently. Um, and, and then Iguodala is, is totally different where he's, he's not as much of a scorer, even though he's developed into a pretty significant spot-up threat for the Warriors. But he completes so many different lineups with his ability to fill different roles. So it's really hard for me to pick between the two at this stage of the season. I think I would probably lean towards Iguodala, but that could flip-flop. Monday when they play each other. <laughs> Dan, who do you got? So I'm going to sort of pick for Adam because I wanted to roll with Iguodala, although I did consider Ennis Cantor, which kills me because he's played really well on the offensive side of the ball this year. Kills me um, too. But <laughs> Iggy has just been sensational, and this wasn't a guy who was an especially good three-point shooter or someone who could play without the ball when he was – in Philly or, or even in Denver. And now he's a phenomenal spot-up shooter. Um, he's a great guy to just work off screens with. He sets a ton of picks, which he's never really done. And then his defense just doesn't really seem to have dropped off. He's always been a pretty good defender, but he's part of what makes Golden State's switch everything or let's play as small as we can lineups just work. He, he can defend a vast array of positions, and, and he does them well. And it, it's almost a little bit amazing to me that he's 32 now, I believe, and it doesn't look like he's lost like an iota of athleticism or quickness. He's just so smart, even as a secondary facilitator. When you have him inbounding balls from the sidelines or, or when he's that guy, that in-between guy who catches a pass and then just finds someone, I've just been super impressed with what he's done. And he's played a bunch. He's, probably, he's played more than probably most uh, sixth men at this point. I think he's over 1,200 minutes, so I, I think he has that going for him too, is he's been good in in considerable volume. Yeah, I don't have a problem with, with Iguodala. I think I agree with all the points that you guys made. Um, just to kind of piggyback on what Dan was saying, he is averaging about 28 minutes a game, which is what a lot of starters average. Um, but I am going to go with Ginobili. And so before the, the podcast started, I, I went to the player season finder on basketball reference. So this is guys that qualify for the minutes leaderboard and have started less than 20 games or 20 games or less or fewer. Um, sorted by box plus minus. Manu's first with 5.5. Then it drops down to 4.2 with David West. Uh, Jokic, Nikola Jokic, who we were all glowing about before the podcast is at four. And then everyone else in the top 10 is under three. Um, and Iguodala is fourth for what it's worth. And then I kind of looked at Ginobili's per 36 numbers. He's averaging 19.6 assists and five rebounds, shooting 47% from the field, 38 from three. He's, he's barely behind Tony Parker for the assist percentage lead on the Spurs. Um, what he's become is like, the focal point of the offense for, for that Spurs bench that we talked about earlier. That's so good. He's just become amazing at that. Um, he's not, I mean, he's almost like the backup point guard. Patty Mills is on the depth chart, but Patty Mills is really more of a spot up shooter. Um, where Manu is the guy that's really driving that train, that, that bench that's been so amazing this season. And I, Again, I have no problem with Iguodala for either of, the, of you guys, but I just I'm, I'm amazed at what Ginobili's been able to do in his age 38. 
Yeah, age 38 season. It's insane. Can we also give some love to Will Barton and Victor Oladipo? Because both sure. have been fantastic coming off the bench as well. I was actually going to say Will Barton. Uh, I wouldn't have really considered Oladipo. The thing with – and this obviously doesn't matter because the six-man role is just so up for interpretation. I feel like every time I watch the Nuggets, there's a different first person coming off the bench. <laughs> That's true. But he's – Will Barton has been absolutely sensational. He's just been incredible. And, you know, uh, you say the caveats with a lot of this is we look – at the sixth man award, sort of like we look through everything else with the exception, maybe rookie of the year where you want them to come from good teams. And then you're always like, well, let's see if you can do this for a good team. I mean, the nuggets are like a borderline playoff team in the Western conference at this point. And, and Will Barton's just been really good. They're Adam's frowning at me, but they're only a they're couple, only a couple games, games back out. at that eight spot. Yeah. So keep frowning from but it's not a lie. <laughs> um, just as like an aside too. That that same uh, season search that I did, the Spurs have four of the top seven bench players in box plus minus. Yeah, they're not fair. <laughs> it's crazy. So and I'm, the Spurs. <laughs> it's insane. So I'm taking I'm taking the leading the leader of the best bench that I've maybe ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, it's it's hard to knock either of the two that we're really yeah, for sure. honing in on here. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to come to as much of a consensus on defensive player of the year, though. I guess we'll see about that. Um, my pick, you, you may start to see a little bit of a theme developing here. I'm going with another spur. <laughs> and uh, this time it's going to be Tim Duncan. Yes! <laughs> I'm glad I got that reaction. Um, i got to pull up. Okay, here it is. So I've got... I just went by defensive box plus minus. I'm, this isn't the sole reason I'm choosing Duncan. But he is leading the NBA in defensive box plus minus among players who qualify for the leaderboard. And the Spurs, like Dan said, have, what did you say, the best defense since the 60s Celtics? Yep. Yeah, by adjusted <laughs> defensive rating, yeah. That's insane. And so I, you, I wouldn't have a problem with Kawhi Leonard, um, but I think that Tim Duncan is the anchor of that defense. He is, he is like what it all, he's what everything revolves around. Um, the, what, what's their defensive rating right now? Like 92, 93. I think it's, I think it's just under 96 or <laughs> like that. It's insane what they're doing. And I don't think they can do it without Tim Duncan sort of leading the ship. And the other thing too, and this, this shouldn't be a big part of my argument, but since we are talking about, legacy awards with Kobe Bryant being elected to the all-star game. How about a legacy award for somebody who actually has some merit? Um, Tim Duncan is value. (laughs) He's never won defensive player of the year. And that shouldn't be the only reason he should win it this season. It should be because he has a legitimate case as the best defensive player in the league. Um, But the fact that he hasn't won defensive player of the year is pretty crazy to me. And I think he deserves one (laughs) before he leaves. So I I think the the typical argument against Duncan here is that he doesn't play enough minutes to really deserve consideration for the award. And I will rebut that by turning to another stat. It's the defensive component of TPA. Uh And it takes playing time into account because we're looking at how good players are on a per-possession basis and then applying how many possessions they're actually playing. So, so far in the season, Duncan has saved 10494 points on the defensive end. That's the top mark in the league. Second is Draymond Green at 101.97. Duncan has done that despite spending more than 1,100 fewer possessions on the court than Draymond Green. He's been that good during the minutes that he's played. So that's pretty much my reason is even though he hasn't spent as much time, he's been so impactful while anchoring one of the best defenses we've ever seen. Yeah, that's crazy. My pick is Duncan as well, with the caveat that I pro- I think that he's honestly not going to win and it will come back to the playing time. I'm not saying that that's hurt him. It's just that uh, only two defensive player of the years have ever played under 30 minutes per game, and no- neither of them played under 27.5, and Duncan's under 26 at the moment. And again, he's playing like a defensive player of the year, and he's he's still a primary anchor for what's one of the best defenses of all time. I just don't think he's going to win. He absolutely deserves it. You can argue he might deserve it even more because he deserves a legacy award. But when you look at the stats and you look at the numbers, he actually deserves it. And if it doesn't go to him, though, I think it should go to Kawhi Leonard again just because this Spurs defense is nothing 
without those two in my mind. And I think you could make a case for him as being their second most valuable defender pretty easily. I think you're going to hear a lot of people say that Hassan Whiteside should win or that DeAndre Jordan should get some serious consideration because they block so many shots. But this should be a three-man race with Duncan Leonard and Draymond Green. Yeah, I'm with you on those three. And I, yep. I would go Kawhi, too, if it's not Duncan. Um, but I think the counter to the minutes argument that Dan was bringing up is that legacy thing. I think a lot of people who vote for these awards, and I, I know these are just our awards, um, so this is different. I'm, I'm kind of forecasting now what will actually happen. But a lot of the voters... <clears throat> They look at you know traditional things and sentimental things, and they may see that Duncan could be on his way out, and, and this is their opportunity to sort of rectify a wrong and give him his one and only Defensive Player of the Year award. So I think, I think he is very much uh, a contender. Like we all said, we'd give it to him if it was, if it was us making the choice, but um, I think he has a pretty good chance to get it in reality too. Can we also give a retroactive shout-out to Kawhi Leonard for Most Improved Player? None of us mentioned yeah. him, but... The leap that he's made is ridiculous as That's well. That's true. Um, what he has become offensively is insane. And, and like I think the, the easiest thing to point to is obviously the three-point shooting. I mean, is he still leading the league in three-point percentage? I think Redick moved past him. Uh, okay. Yeah. Even still, um, near 50% for, for what he was last season or the season before or in college. Like, that's insane. Yeah, and I mean, it's come with like – you know, increased usage pretty yeah. much. He doesn't lead the Spurs in usage rate anymore. But the thing with the Spurs, and this isn't this isn't a negative, but you sort of wonder, Kawhi Leonard is who he is because he went to the Spurs. I think people neglect to say that. Uh, they don't realize that he probably wouldn't have been this good anywhere else. But the flip side of it is, is what would he have been, how good would he have been if he would have gotten a more prominent role more quickly with them? Like he's he's anchoring an incredible offense and an incredible defense. And he's playing like a megastar, probably like one of the five or seven best players in the league right now. So it's, it's kind of interesting to wonder, you know, if the Spurs had relied on him more early on, how, how much sooner could he have been this good? And is he done getting better yet? I mean, no. is it inconceivable 24. that he could be even better? Yeah, I still think, yeah, I still think there are, I think he can become a better ball handler and distributor, um, like there's there's still aspects of his game that it, that can improve, and it's insane to think about that. I was I was talking with a friend the other day, and uh, I, I said that if I had a kid who was old enough to start watching basketball, if I had to pick one player in the league for him to really watch and model his game after, it would probably be Leonard at this yeah, point because it's so hard to replicate what Steph does and what LeBron does with his, with his athleticism. So if if there's one like model basketball player in the league today, isn't it Leonard? And isn't that crazy that that's what we're saying now? Yeah, I would agree with you. I, think you could, I would probably say either him or uh, Draymond. I love, the, I love the way that Kawhi Leonard plays, too. And this has like nothing to do with stats or whatever. But I just love that he is <laughs> – he's just this unemotional machine out there. Like, just does his job. If he – dunks on somebody's head it's just like whatever i'll just run back and get this steal now real quick it's it's amazing to watch him play they they asked him about um tnt asked him about his you know making his first all-star appearance and start uh after the spurs beat the suns the other day and he was pretty much just like i just want to win another championship that's, that's like all he said <laughs> that's awesome i yeah i love his demeanor um we're gonna move on now to rookie of the year Though I think so, we've all kind of agreed that if we had to pick, it would be Tim Duncan for Defensive Player of the Year. Is Give that us our votes, damn it? <laughs> is that our first uh, consensus so far? Yeah. Let's recap real quick. What did we start with? Um, we started coach with of the our... year. Coach of the Year. I had yeah. Walton. You guys both had Pop, right? With a yes. Big shout out to Carlisle. That's right. That's... Uh, and then for most improved, I had McCollum. You guys had. I had Kyle Lowry. Dan? Dan. Uh, I had Jay Crowder. Okay, and then for sixth man of the year, I had Manu. You guys both had Iguodala. Defensive player of the year, we all had Tim Duncan. So now that we've got you guys all caught up, let's move on to rookie of the year. Uh, let's go to Dan first on this one. 
I'm still picking Carl Anthony Towns. I understand that he's had more playing time than pretty much everybody else. Actually, everybody else now that I'm looking now. But he's been really good still. Uh, the fact that he has a, bos- a positive box plus minus on a pretty bad Timberwolves team as a rookie is super impressive. Uh, looking at Adam Fromell's TPA rankings, I don't know why I said your full name, but looking at Adam's TPA rankings the other day for rookies and how hard it is to be in the positives and the fact that he's in the positives, despite this volume, it is just really incredible to me. And he just seems like that modern-day ideal big man. He's already a pretty good rim protector. He's got a long way to go on his passing. Uh, he's not finishing on pick and rolls too well, but he's got a post-up game. He can shoot. He's a good defender, and he really wants to get better. Um, and I know a lot of other people, like Christoph Porzingis, receive more press now, uh, most likely because of the market he's playing in. But Carl Anthony Towns, to me, through and through to this point, has been the best rookie. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think we should immediately throw out Jaleel Okafor because even though he's putting up <laughs> big numbers, he's doing it on a horrible team. They're not actually helping that team, and his defense is atrocious. I was going to say Okafor just to see your guys' reactions and then, and then say <laughs> I just, just kidding. Hung, I, I might have just hung up. <laughs> or Skype would have broke. I'm glad so, you preempted my practical joke then. <laughs> um, I think that, that Porzingis is a legitimate selection. Uh, it would be more about the the passion that he's brought back to New York Knicks basketball and really invigorated, reinvigorated that fan base than the sheer numbers. I think and that I think like the unexpectedness of it all then would factor in because no one expected him to be this good. And I think that's no. why everyone's seduced by him so much. I think that the Nikola Jokic deserves more credit than he's been receiving because this guy is already incredible on both ends of the court. Um, one of the best passing rookie big men I've seen in a long time. But it's Towns. I mean, doing what he's doing in as many minutes as he's playing uh, and really often operating as one of the focal points on both offense and defense is incredible. And he's without question going to be a future superstar. And we're already I, I think he's already the best player on that team. That's what I was going to ask you, actually. And I, th- I, I agree. I think Towns is the best player. Um, I posed that question on Twitter. I don't remember when it, maybe a month or two ago. And there were still a decent amount of people who thought Wiggins was better, but uh, the the all around nature of Towns' game is amazing to me. Just looking at his stats this morning, I had no idea he's shooting thirty nine percent from three right now. It's it's not on a lot of volume, <laughs> but for a guy to be able to rebound the way he does, score inside the way he does, protect the rim the way he does, and shoot threes. Um, he and, and or I can throw Porzingis into this too, but this revolution of maybe like stretch five now, stretch fives now, or playmaking fives, like it's pretty awesome to see. And I think Towns is sort of the leader of this this revolution. And I I'm with you on Jokic too, Dan. I think or Adam. I think he's highly underrated, but um, just for the amount, uh, the the kind of load that Towns is carrying, I think I'm going to give it to him. And the fact that he's doing it really in an offensive system that isn't best for him just Terrible. yet. You know, Sam Mitchell's offense is archaic, and it's not even archaic in the sense that, oh, Towns gets so many post-up touches. He just he doesn't get good shot selections. You said he has a great three-point percentage, but he should be going out there more. They don't mm-hmm. station him on the outside enough. They don't let him serve as that playmaker enough even but he's still been good in pretty much every facet of the game in lieu of that so that's just super impressive to me uh but i guess that would bring us to the most anticipated award which would be mvp i'm actually can i cut you off real quick dan yeah Um, i have one more point to make about towns sorry about that way to jump the gun dan (laughs) it's fine we we sounded done no i I'm, i'm with you um Sorry, just one second. I'm running uh, Towns' per 36-minute numbers through the season finder. Guess how many people Okay, <laughs> have averaged 19 points per 36 minutes, 11 rebounds, two blocks, while shooting 38% from three um, as a rookie. Is there a minimum attempts on this or no? I just qualified for the minutes leaderboard. I, no one? <laughs> yeah, just Towns. He's, he's the only one, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's got to be. Yeah, one and only. Pretty amazing. I think that's a good sort of uh, bow to put on top of the rookie of the year discussion. It's it's incredible what he's done, and I don't. 
I don't think people understand just um, how much he can do. Can you make a case for him right now as an all-star reserve? Uh, Not quite. Yeah, I, would, I, would, quite. I don't think, I think so because of the team he's on. If but. there were like five players who were injured, I think that we could start getting him a little bit of buzz about a potential replacement uh, spot on the roster, but not not on the standard 12-man one. That I, I think part of that too is I don't understand why Sam Mitchell is playing him and Wiggins the amount of minutes that he does. Like I think he would have a lot more all-star consideration if he was playing um, like a normal starting center type minutes i don't know uh yeah i mean i think towns at least this season he's having the better all-around season than anthony davis like he's just if you're looking at complete player i'm not talking about stats davis's stats are still absurd um and he's really come on over the last couple weeks and he's playing for a pelicans team that's worse than the timberwolves but towns is just already seems like in terms of having the entire package i think he stacks up uh, not, I guess not necessarily production-wise, but I think if he had more playing time, maybe he would. But I think he stacks up with um, any big-name frontcourt player in the West at the moment. Who, who was the uh, journalist who had some tweet about Towns and Davis earlier in the season? Do you guys remember uh, this? I think yeah, it was... Uh, I, I don't Coach remember who it was. Was it Thorpe? I think it was. And it, what, it was something about Towns being better or going to be better or... I've, he says it's only been like three games or two games or something, but I already have seen enough to know Towns has more upside than Anthony Davis. So do I mean that still sounds kind of crazy to me hearing it now, but is it it's not as crazy as it was then, right? No, I'm still calling BS on it, but <laughs> I think that there's no doubt that Towns has serious superstar potential. Right. I mean it still seems ridiculous to say because we're talking about half a season and Davis has been just incredible, and he's been incredible this year, and people think he's having an off year. And he's getting more incredible lately. Yeah, so, I mean, no, I don't think, I I don't want to rule it out because I don't want to put a cap on Towns' ceiling, but I don't think you can say that right now, that he's going to be better than Davis. I think it's absolutely possible to say there is no limits to what he can do, but I don't know if if what he's actually going to do. I I can't say right now that it's going to exceed what Davis does. Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. It's just that at the at the time he first said it, my first reaction was just like, well, you're crazy. Dude, yeah, yeah bro. <laughs> but it's not quite as crazy anymore, which is wild to think about that Towns <laughs> is that good. Uh, anyway, I think that that wraps up rookie of the year. Sorry I cut you off earlier, Dan, but um, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm not over it yet. <laughs> uh, but that would bring us to, unless I'm missing one, uh, MVP, everyone's favorite. I'm going to throw it over to Adam, who looks like he's thinking intently uh, about this MVP race that is obviously close. There's no one that has distinguished himself. It's pretty much a coin toss. Yeah, so it's Steph Curry. Can we just move on now? Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Well, maybe we could turn it into, like, what would somebody have to do to get into that conversation? Nothing. How How about MVP BS, most valuable player besides Steph? Yeah, so, I was I'm actually going to ask that, you guys actually. for like top five ballots because it's so obvious that it's Steph at number one. Yeah, but there's I, I I think I agree with you guys, but what you're saying is there's nothing anybody could do from this point to the end of the year. I guess if Steph, I I don't know <laughs> if Steph got injured and I want to knock on something for the rest of the season, I'm not entirely convinced that he wouldn't still win MVP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean after uh, after he made that half court shot. Uh, last night against the Pacers uh, to end the first half, I, I tweeted out that I was ready to give him the 2017 MVP. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one I retweeted. And I'm not entirely sure how how much of a joke that was. No, I, he could go on a run right now. It's in, it's there's nobody who impacts the game anywhere near the level that he does. I think it's a testament to the field that his MVP probability. Uh, which was once at like 90 or something crazy like that, has actually dipped to, per basketball reference, 76.2. Yeah. I think the field um, behind him has been really good, and he's Stephen Curry is making a mockery of what could have been an epic MVP race. Yeah, yeah it's crazy because those guys behind him have been amazing, like Russell Westbrook and Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard. Like There have been some extremely 
excellent individual seasons, and yet nobody comes close to touching what he's doing. I'll go ahead and give you guys my top five so you can pick it apart. Okay. But it's uh, Steph Curry, obviously, at number one. I would actually have Draymond Green at number two, Kawhi Leonard at three, Russell Westbrook at four, and then it's like a deadlock between Kyle Lowry and LeBron at five. I don't have a problem um, with that. I'm sure some people would like an explanation for Draymond Green at number two, though. I would I mean, actually have Draymond Green at two as well. So yeah, I I might too. I just I think it's worth elaborating on. Yeah, I, I think we've seen what happens during the game that he missed. I forget who it was against, but was they the, just weren't the same team. And I think Dan has put this best in an article. It's it's Draymond Green who gives the Warriors their identity, and then it's Steph that makes that identity so great. Yeah, that's a cool way to look at it. He he is like the emotional um bellwether for this team. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I was going to go with some other cl- like cliche, but I'm glad you saved me. <laughs> <laughs> um I find it interesting and this is without me looking at any stats, but I find it interesting that so many people would say that Russell Westbrook is more valuable to the Thunder right now than Durant. Um is it because Durant has missed some games? Uh, and Westbrook uh, has Westbrook missed games? No, he hasn't missed games this season. Like I'm just, I uh, in my head, and again, there's there's so many ways to look at this award. But if you took Kevin Durant away from the Thunder, we know what they are. If you took Russell Westbrook away from the Thunder and left Durant, I think they're probably still a top five Western Conference team. I'm going to disagree with that because. I think that that's heavily based on what we saw happen last year. And this year's Westbrook is a completely different player. He's become an even better passer. He's become significantly better on the defensive end. His shot selection is starting to get better. And that mid-range jumper is even more on target. So if you did take Durant out of the equation this year, I think that they would still survive because of how much better he's gotten. I agree with that. He, I think one thing, for, for most of Westbrook's career, there was a lot of talk about how selfish he was. And now in the first season where it looks like he's become less selfish, nobody talks about it. Um, which he's I, averaging like what, 9.6 assists per game or something? 9. His assist 8. percentage is almost 50, which is just ridiculous yeah, for the amount insane. of time he plays. His field goal attempts have gone down about four a game this season. Um, I think his shot, shot selection has gotten better, like Adam said. Um, I, I think he just does a little bit more overall for that team than Durant does. And for what it's worth, I think I would still have Durant in like the top 10 of my MVP ballot if it extended that deep. He'd probably be right at number seven behind LeBron and Lowry. So it's not like there's that much of a difference between the two, but Westbrook has just been phenomenal. Um, According to the TPA stat, he's actually on pace to have one of the 20 best seasons since the 1970s. Where's where's Curry on that one? He's number seven right now. I'm surprised he's not higher, actually. Uh, there's some pretty incredible like ones. Michael yeah. Jordan. Michael Jordan and Kareem and okay. LeBron. Yeah. Um, um, I guess, ahead, I guess this is me being like a yelling at clouds type guy then. I just still – I would never be able to put – and I've never really thought Westbrook was selfish to begin with. I think he's probably – this style of basketball is best for the Thunder – um, the, the point that he's out now, he, he's never been more valuable to the Thunder, and it's never looked like he's complimented Kevin Durant better. I just wouldn't be able to, you know, and I know, you know, he has a comparable net rating to Durant and similar playing time. I think Durant is a bit higher. I guess it would be neck and neck. I just wouldn't be able to bring myself to call uh, Russell Westbrook more valuable than Durant. So I kind of feel like I'm one of those old guys grasping at straws <laughs> and yelling at clouds. I don't think there's. I I feel like there's a reasonable argument for both on each side. Like I I can see what what you're saying. Um, the biggest difference for me is is the defender that Westbrook has turned into because he's allowed to gamble so often in this system and he does it so well now. Uh, I I don't think that you would ever call him like a lockdown guy because he's not going to stop everyone in isolation and you know he doesn't run around the court and wreak quite as much havoc as like a John Wall, but. The, the decisions that he's making on the defensive end have turned him into arguably the most valuable defender at his position. Uh, and that's, that's the difference to me during a season where we haven't really seen Durant thrive as much on both ends. Incredible offensive player, but maybe he's just still mentally working his way back from all the injuries. But it seems like he hasn't quite exerted as much energy as he could on defense. 
Where did you have him in your top five? Westbrook, three? I had him at three. My top five, sorry, I, I think. Four behind Kawhi also. Oh, okay. I think I will go. They're pretty interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think that like everyone after Curry might be kind of interchangeable <laughs> within a top five. Um, so just for variety's sake, I'll say Curry, Kawhi, uh, Westbrook, Draymond, and LeBron or Lowry. Same thing Adam did with his number five. Um, I think I'd probably go Curry, Draymond, Kawhi, LeBron, probably KD. And then I might have right after that's going to be Lowry slash Westbrook. So we got, we've been got the so same damn ones good. up there. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a – like we've all said this at some point that it's almost a shame that Steph has been so good because it overshadows how ridiculously awesome yeah. so many – other players have been there have been some amazing <laughs> seasons it's yeah it's crazy it's and i this kind of makes me think of something else about steph too um <laughs> he is like and i've i've seen this from guys who played in the league in the 90s um it might have been jalen rose who said this but stephen curry has sort of captivated basketball the way that jordan did in the 90s um <laughs> Is it kind of weird that that mantle sort of skipped over LeBron and went to Curry? Or did LeBron have it at one point? I think LeBron absolutely oh, yeah, had it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Especially during his, like, those – his latter three years in Miami, like, he was just – that was the best of LeBron I think we've ever seen in terms of just uh, outside perception of the person and leader he was and then just his play style. Like, he really became – this efficient volume score. He was shooting threes. He was carrying the heat. That, like, I almost, not that I, I missed that LeBron. And I always had that, like, feeling that once he went back to Cleveland, it was just going to be different. So it's not necessarily that LeBron is any less important now that he's in Cleveland, but this version of LeBron that we see now, even as his shooting's picked up a little bit, it is clearly, to me, an inferior version than to the one we saw in Miami. And I think that was peak LeBron. And I definitely, you know, hopefully we all appreciated that enough, but it, it almost seems like that version of LeBron was just didn't last long enough. Here, here's my next question then. Um, does, does his sort of public perception play into this discussion at all? Like the fact that he was a villain to so many people and maybe Jordan was too in the nineties. Jordan probably would have been more of a villain if there was social media around, just because the yeah. anecdotes you hear about That's him now. That's a good point. So I don't think – it definitely will impact his legacy to some extent and then the sort of team hopping that he did. But there was definitely a time, and you could even argue it was before Miami. I don't know what Adam's feelings are on this, where he was doing for the NBA what Stephen Curry is doing for it now. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say because I, I agree that peak LeBron was probably once he gained comfort in Miami, but peak individual LeBron was like 2008, 2009, 2010 when he was flat out carrying some yeah. awful supporting cast for the Cavaliers and really became must-watch television. I mean, one of the, the LeBron games that sticks out the most in my mind is that 48 special in the playoffs against the Detroit Pistons where he scored 48 and was like, what, 25 in a row? during the fourth quarter and overtime of that playoff game. And the ability for him to do stuff like that was insane. It was must-watch TV. It was always talked about. Um, so I don't. I definitely don't think that Mantle skipped over him, and I think that he's had it for an awfully long time. Yeah. And you could argue that he, already, that, he, that he still does, because even though Stephen Curry is clearly the biggest attraction in the league, everything LeBron does still gets dissected. It was yeah, almost true. what Stephen Curry's doing with his warm-ups. LeBron used to do that with his warm-up dunks. Like, that mm -hmm. was a thing for a while as well. Just as a random... Attraction. Point yeah, I, it's a good point. Um, sorry, I got a sidetrack there. Um, so I think we can put a bow on MVP, too. Pretty, pretty clearly all Stephen Curry. Yeah, for but, consensuses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that would mean that it's time for... Yes, that's right. It's Burns My Bacon time, and Adam Frommel has the mic today. 
So I get that in all sports, all-star uh, selections are largely popularity contests, and the fans should have a voice. If they want to see Kobe Bryant in the all-star game for whatever reason, then they should get to do that. The issue that I have now, specifically with the NBA all-star process, is because the voting has moved to Twitter, celebrities matter so much, which is ridiculous. You see one guy with millions of followers tweet out blah, 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 NBA vote, and he gets retweeted by the blind followers who are going to retweet anything he or she says, and all of a sudden there's an insane, insane boost and how many votes that guy is receiving. So now we're not even just making this a popularity contest. We're making it a who can get the most celebrity endorsement contests, which is for an entirely different reason. And again, this would all be fine if all-star selections didn't matter, but they do because we reference them in conversations about historical players. They, they impact how we remember players. They affect their legacies, and they're often cited by everyone during Hall of Fame inductions and during the Hall of Fame balloting. So this actually does matter. And we have now bastardized the process beyond just making it a sheer popularity contest to the point where when Justin Bieber says that he's supporting Chris Paul instead of Kyle Lowry, there's a seismic shift in the voting. And that's wrong. I agree. I hate fan voting in general at this point. (laughs) I get the like let the fans see who they want to see argument, and I I was arguing with somebody about this on Twitter, but really the entire NBA it could be said is for the fans. So I think we should just let fans Twitter vote on free agent signings and trades now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sick of it. Kobe Bryant is having one of the worst seasons ever, and right, I I don't care. Like he's already been to 18 All Star games. If you want to give him a swan song, have him do something else besides the game. Sing the national anthem at the All-Star game. Yeah, I'm fine with that. (laughs) Well, I think think the ideal solution is to have the normal All-Star roster and then a couple select spots in addition to it where we can actually write down on their their resume that these guys were fan (laughs) selections. I'm fine with that, too. Just something different. I don't like the fan voting because... Every year, like we say the All-Star game doesn't matter and the fans somehow get it wrong. But at the same time, I like it like, or I'm okay with it. Like the All-Star game in the NBA doesn't matter. People, most people have really stopped using All-Star selections as a means to buttress legacies. It's like you guys said, this is for the fans. It's not MLB. It's not going to you know, shape who has home court advantage in the NBA That's finals. Such a funny rule so, baseball has. Right. So it's like this game doesn't matter. It's supposed to be entertaining. You know, Kobe's been rewarded because he's created this ubiquitous brand. But, you know, good for him then and good for these fans. It is their last chance to see him play. He'll probably go for MVP, which will be hysterical to watch him try. (laughs) So I get that he's bad. And I get the voting surges like they can get kind of ridiculous. Like you look at you look at Zaza. I wanted him to get in so bad. That would have been hysterical, but and you know what? That's fine to me. Like this is, it's about it. It's an exhibition, and we don't need it to count as anything. And if you want deserving players in there, you're always going to get deserving players in there, especially when you do the coaches' vote. They're not going to pick these random but, guys all the time. So see, I would it does take one away them. from because I mean, yeah, you get deserving players in, but there's always going to be somebody who's on the outside looking in because somebody got so? in for. Does it make Damian Lillard last year when he was snubbed or DeMarcus Cousins when he was initially snubbed, does it make them any less of a star because coaches didn't pick them to go to I, the All-Star game and fans didn't pick them to go I to the All-Star game? I think so. I think I still hear people say, like, so-and-so hasn't been an All-Star yet. Well, those so, people are dumbass. <laughs> I agree. A couple, but a anyway, couple rebuttals ahead, here. One, one is that there are actual ramifications in contracts. Like we look at Anthony Davis, who lost $23 million unless he makes an all-NBA team because he didn't make an all-star team. He wasn't starting this all-star game, so the Derrick Rose rule might not apply. So that's a serious ramification that's affected by this. And I'm not sure I entirely agree with your point that we've moved past using all-star selections to, to aid legacy arguments. A lot of people have. A lot of the smart analysts have. But there are still a lot of people who shape public perception and who shape how these players are historically perceived who aren't doing that. 
Right. Um, the contract incentive thing, I just don't view it as a legitimate ramification just because, you know, you have an agent who negotiates that. And Anthony Davis was essentially penalized for not being popular enough this year. That's on him and his agent for nego- – they know how all-star voting works. No, that's not, that's, it's not a negotiation thing. It's part of the CBA, CBA though, where you can, have, yeah. you can have the extra percentage of your salary bumped up because you met one of those qualifications. Well, so then that's super archaic. The who's also but, behind fan voting. It's not archaic. It's the, it's the Derek Rose rule. He was the one that had that happen. Right, but that doesn't mean it's not archaic because – it shouldn't you shouldn't be measured against that clearly i don't have a problem with the fans voting like why do these why do these all-star games have to matter so like why why can't they be these fun exhibitions that with the players that i think they would still be fun do you think do you think any more people sit down and watch the all-star game because they voted on twitter i would say yes yeah i would probably say yes and I, I actually, can't imagine they. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but go ahead. I think I actually lean towards more what Dan is saying, just because I agree that the fans should have a should have a vote. And I think I said that at the very beginning of uh-huh. of this segment, where I get all that. It's it's the the impact that it has on the legacy that is the problem I have with it. And until we we can fully move past that, I will still continue to have a problem with it. And the celebrity thing is just ridiculous. I might also be bitter because my campaign to get Joe Ingles in fell to like seven retweets. There's, so. there's always next year. <laughs> I was very disappointed should have in the enlist- country of Australia. Should have enlisted the, the continent. Help I get, I totally get the celebrity argument. Like that's just that's artificial popularity because that's it's really one person and that player that's- say Bieber's tweeting about Chris Paul. Chris Paul's piggybacking off Justin Bieber's popularity. That's so going to get worse I every get year that. too, as long as it stays on Twitter. Because people are going to try and one up each other in that. But that's going to make for some like again. That's the one aspect that I could agree is an issue. But Zaza usurping Draymond Green like that makes for I, just that's really didn't we fun. just I wanted didn't that we just to happen, see this happen just for absurdity's sake. I didn't know. this just happen in the NHL where like some journeyman guy who was traded multiple times and eventually cut was like named an all-star starter or something? I don't follow hockey at all, so I just it, saw this briefly. Something happened with like I don't think this is the same. I'm not sure if it's the same one actually, but like they were someone wrote about this because of Chris Stops that a Latvian hockey player got voted in as a starter because of a campaign by like that <laughs> I, super loyal fan base. I saw that. Yeah. So and I mean Chris Stops was I think he was seventh or eighth in front court voting in the East or something like that. So stuff like that. I mean you have people erecting billboards. You had political. Like the Latvian president tweeting about Kristaps as well, I, I totally get that aspect of it. So it's almost not even a legitimate popularity contest anymore. Just like we measure secondary assists, we kind of have to measure tertiary popularity, which gets ridiculous. <laughs> but I find some of this like, I find it fun and kind of funny. And yeah, the fans are always going to get quote unquote some picks wrong, but you know we need to talk about snubs. <laughs> yeah. And you can talk to us about snubs or the fan voting process or your midseason award recipients on Twitter. Adam is at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Of course, you can find us on iTunes where we would appreciate a subscription or a rating. You can find the show on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, if you don't have the uh, iOS device, we're also on Stitcher, if that's your favorite uh, pod catcher to use. So uh, continue to uh, listen. We appreciate you guys. And uh, as always, we end with the shout out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. 
$30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, get an amazing deal on Reuben's Corned Beef Brisket, just $2.99 a pound. That's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores. Also, start your morning off right with Fersanto Cafe Single Serve Brew Cups. 80-count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99. That's a wow savings of up to 50%. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.